Hello and welcome to Anomaly Presents, the podcast about movies, the genre movies that inspired us to start a genre film festival. That's the Anomaly Film Festival in Rochester, New York, coming to you live and in person November 4th through 7th, year of our Lord 2021. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Matt Knotts, and uh, tonight we've got, oh, we've got a journey, we've got an adventure, we've got a happening. Um <laughs> It's, uh, you know, it's that old, I, w- I would say it's a romantic environmental thriller. Wow, um, accurate. Romance. Where? <laughs> I mean, where, what's your definition of romantic chemistry? Where we learn the only way to defeat a tree is to act like a tree. <laughs> uh <laughs> I, the tree. I, I, I can't I can't do this by myself. So let's bring in the, the podcastronauts. It's uh maybe I don't know. It's I mean if it's if it's not in there, I don't remember it. So. Oh damn. Well you learn <laughs> to grow. I have to write it down. Well that was weird, I'm sorry. That's okay. He, he just wandered down and started staring out the back backyard. Does he sense okay. something in the wind? Apparently. <laughs> I was like, what happened? He's like, I twisted my hand weird. Okay. Kids we don't, are gonna kid. <laughs> kid. Kids are gonna kid. We don't yeah. need that energy though with this with this movie though. Okay. Yeah. We don't stare <laughs> off into space. No, this is what we do need though, because that's what that poor little girl did the whole time. All right, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's. We need to the introductions. Who we are as people. <laughs> so I guess yeah, let's let's take it from there and uh, let's introduce our podcast astronauts. We'll start with KP. Hi everybody. My favorite character was the hot dog guy. <laughs> Special place in my heart. God, I agree with that so much. Hot yeah. dog botanist for life. We've got Matt DeTurk. Hello. My favorite was the elm tree. <laughs> Adam Lubito. Hi. Uh, my favorite was the old woman who wants to know why you're eyeing her lemon drink. <laughs> Aaron Murphy. Hi, I'm Aaron Murphy. I'm here and queer and ready to beer. I don't know. That was terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, that was good. Stick with it. It's the wrong podcast for that, but... <laughs> Um, my favorite character because of my long love for John Leguizamo is his character. Although I do not like math and they wrong, they did him wrong. So they did him so dirty in this film. So anyways, I was waiting for you to do the hard right and go, because I love John Leguizamo. It was also the hot dog. (laughs) (laughs) Although I did like the hot dog botanist that the, yeah. And last, but certainly not least the, uh, the man of the hour, the the our Sherpa into the the Shyamalana verse. Oh. Um, it's Eric Myra. Hey everyone, this is Eric. I am ride or die M Night for life, and uh, I think my favorite character is the woman reading the book about the crippled uh, crippled girl who the killers are going to do something with. Um, yeah, she's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so. I am going to be 100% upfront and honest with every single one of you now because I feel like I have to be. 
I was in a weird mental space today. So watching the happening wasn't on my list of shit I wanted to do. <laughs> so what I did do is go off of my memory slash watch a couple YouTube videos of recaps of the film. One of them being a kill count. So I got to see every time someone was killed. So I got to see those go down and forgot how kind of gory this can be. And then two, I watched someone say how much they loved it. So they broke down the 10 reasons why they love it. And then I watched a film, the, uh, a video about 10 reasons why someone hated it. Um, so I think I got a good view of it and my memory of watching it once because I realized I couldn't do that to myself again. So Eric and I are just like feeling different feelings. <laughs> I feel like I could say anything right now and it'd be in, like, I could be like, oh yeah, the scene where they're in space, like working on the satellite and people be like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> but here's the thing. It totally fucking could have. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, there's no doubt in my mind anything could have happened in this movie. Um, so, Eric, I'm going to kind of steal something from the episodes we we do with guests. What made you choose The Happening? Yeah, so, uh, again, just to reiterate, ride or die, M. Night. Um, he is someone that I've grown up with, you know, from my formative years into adulthood, watching his films. And I think this is a super interesting film because it was the first film of his, which um, I saw all of his movies in theaters except for Unbreakable. I didn't see that until the home video release. But when it came to The Happening, it was the first time I was super let down by M. Night. I was so disappointed. I was very angry with the film um, yet I bought the DVD would rewatch it become more angry would try to show it to friends would be angry because it's kind of like when you're like favorite artist kind of like fucks up and you're like but what why how is he messing this up why what is he doing so wrong that he wasn't doing in his previous work and truly to get to the point I guess the reason I picked the happening is because COVID hit and I you know as much of us did we all sat down and maybe rewatched old films of ours and I'm like you know what I'm gonna put on the happening for whatever reason I'm gonna watch it and that literally started my newfound love, appreciation, obsession, scary obsession with the film. And now, and I've only done this with a few films where you just like hate it and then you come around to it. Um, and I've come around to it. So I'm here to tell you all why th there is promise in this film. Well, it's, I'm here. I'm here to listen to that. Um... <laughs> it's, like, it's like with me and Moulin Rouge. First time I've watched Moulin Rouge, I hated it. But now I absolutely love it. But yeah. Yeah, no, you can still be friends with me, Matt. We can still be friends. Um, but I feel that where I first saw a film and I was like, I don't like this. Yeah. And then I came around to it. But I will not be coming around to this film. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I am so excited to hear. I'm not going to call it your defense of this movie, Eric, because it's not. I don't feel like you have to defend it, but right. maybe a little. Um <laughs> of view honestly yeah like, yeah i haven't watched it since it came out like so yeah and the thing i want to make clear to everyone too is like it's totally rational to hate this movie or to clown <laughs> on it like and i will be doing the same absolutely so it's not something where it's like you guys don't get a blah blah what i i guess yeah like with anything it's just like i have a new appreciation and hopefully i can share some of the appreciation uh, uh, with you definitely so should, do should we do a, a plot synopsis? Is that a thing we should do? It, it's I mean, it's. We can type it up pretty quick. It's ninety yeah. minutes, right? Right, <laughs> right. So yeah, um, wind and plants are bad. Toxins kill everybody. The end. Um, love, except, uh, good. love saves us all. Love wins um, in the end. And anticlimactic. Uh, putting the child in danger. Mm. Mm. Just 
in danger. <laughs> I don't want to have kids. Now I'm forced to take care of this child and I do it terribly. And now I put her in danger so many times. I think I'm ready to have children. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, you failed oh. to mention that everyone, everyone wears blue. Everyone wears the color blue in this film. Look at the wardrobe. Everyone's wearing blue. Oh, and when wow. I say everyone, that's maybe a little hyperbolic, but holy shit, is there a lot of blue? And Kendall we'll get Roy, to that. Yeah, we will Kendall get Roy. to that, my friends. Kendall Roy did not have blue on. <laughs> army greens <laughs> um and and let's not forget a superfluous i want to say i'm using that word right amount of side characters um that you're supposed to care about and then you don't build enough emotional connection with and then poof they're gone yeah i would agree with that i, I think yeah you get these these little posses of people that show up i mean hot dog bot- botanist number one amongst them <laughs> all right man yeah I, his whole arc is amazing because he enters the movie like he's been with you the entire time. Yeah. No, he like, knows exactly what movie he's in and he should get oh, his own yeah. side movie. A hundred percent. The hot dog yeah. dude. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, I, I feel like I should mention though, is Horace from Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Yeah. So, mm. Matt, Matt was very eager to point that out to me when we were watching. <laughs> I was like, he runs the telegraph in Colorado <laughs> Springs. <laughs> How are you, Grandma? <laughs> I will say um, the points that I remembered from my memory before I even watched any of these synopsis videos was like this. There were parts of this that like substantially did thrill and scare me. But then I remember being absolutely laughable at ever, other points. So and and I was like, okay, so that that is actually in my brain. I remember like neat like a sewing needle or knitting needles. Like I wasn't there for that shit. Um, and then I remember like people, you know, jumping off of buildings that sucked. So I was like, there was actual horror elements to this that really, really were good. But then there's horror mm-hmm. parts that suck terribly. And it was confirmed by the guy who said, these are 10 reasons why I liked it because the horror, there's parts of the horror that were really executed well. And then parts where it just like fell apart. Yeah. I, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. If you go for, if you go from the top, I think that's it. Like you get the idea that, you know. It's going to be really horrific by, you know, the, the hairpin. What is that called? Does anybody, I, I don't know. The, the stick needle? needed. The it, was it needle? just a knitting needle? Yeah. yeah it was just, just a knitting needle. Just, just right into her neck. And I was like, oh shit, this is going to be wild. I mean, she pulled it out of her hair, but it looked like yeah. a knitting needle. Yeah. That was a thing back in the, the mid 2000s, right? <laughs> Put your there hair were, up with knitting needles. There were always girls that had their, their hair up with, yeah, yeah, pencils, chopsticks. I yeah, remember all that. Some of those deaths were really gruesome, and that is, like, stuck with me. There's, like, three things that stuck with me. The, the gruesome deaths, like, all the people hanging. Yeah. That, lawn, that lawnmower death will stay with me for a while. That was yes. gnarly. Uh, the kind of wooden language sometimes, like, the, even when you couldn't even imagine any more evil, or, you know, like that, you know, that one, or the cheese and crackers, or whatever. You know, like, moments like that where it kind of takes you out of it, and then, obviously... My second favorite character, the old lady, because she just reminded me of my grandmother. Because she would just flip the script. Like, <laughs> she, I hear you whispering, and I'm like, oh no, I start getting sweaty. I'm like, what? <laughs> 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 <Is that> you? <laughs> These switches and emotions that she would go through, like, especially when she was like, oh, are you going to kill me in my sleep? And then, and then, I almost said Donnie Osmond. That is not who I wanted to say. <laughs> Would have been a totally different movie. (laughs) 
And that's not even Marky Mark, is it? That's the wrong brother, right? Yeah, it's Marky Mark. Mark. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, so then Marky Mark goes, oh, I I would never dream of it, or I didn't do it. It's like, how do you deliver a line like that? How is it an acceptable delivery of that line? (laughs) I mean, what do you want from him? (laughs) I will say this just real quick, because, like, I did look up for fanfic, and... I found seven of them on fanfic. There's fanfic? Whoa. There's only seven, and I didn't open a single one of them, but this one took me out. Mark, here's the description. Mark Wahlberg's character, parentheses, but not the hot Mark Wahlberg from Transformers, or Danny's home, is somewhat chubby, which I don't necessarily agree. He just looks grumpy. Uh, Weird-looking Mark Wahlberg, because they put him in a white-collar button shirt. KP, you actually just hit on one thing that I really despise about this movie. I hate Mark Wahlberg's uh, wardrobe for this. I hate it. <laughs> He's wearing such like a plain dad bullshit. It's like, yes. God damn, someone was sleeping when they fucking got this costume together. Um, I mean, yeah, that was the, well, that's the one. Well, there's many things. There's a few things that maybe I could bring up that well, I didn't like, but like, damn. He was like a high school science teacher whose yeah. wife cheated on him. I use it whatever loosely. that she went got dessert or whatever she was. They, they, I didn't even care. But, the <laughs> but like and, I don't know if maybe that was part of it. Then they had to make him look normal or I don't know. He just looked like an average Joe. I love this fanfic. I, I had this is my first time watching the movie. I had always wanted to see it just because I had heard so many things about this movie. And generally, I'm a fan of, of M. Night and his films. Generally, um, but watching this, like it, it lived up to my expectations in that this was such a weird movie. Like, it just the entire way through feels like something is off, like something got like the translation got scrambled like Mm -hmm. everything this dialogue is stilted the performances are really sincere but don't make sense none of the actions the characters take make any sense it was just such an odd experience watching this movie and i was always entertained because i was like every single moment i was like what is happening right now what why are they doing this why are they talking this way who would do that and it just i don't know but something about that like i i don't want to say i enjoyed it but it was it made it such an interesting viewing experience like it's such an interesting movie and i kind of have I'm excited to hear more from Eric and yeah. his theories because because I have some theories about yeah. this movie. Um, but I did. I mean, I feel like now I need to pass it to to Matt because at one point he had an idea, and I was like, that might actually help this viewing experience. And I would now turn it over. I'm to just you. gonna really quickly say this because mm-hmm. I, I want to get to Eric. Is what I kept feeling like through this. I felt like this was M Knight's desire to do a classic Twilight Zone episode, and I felt like that was the stilted dialogue, kind of the dress code, kind of the wooden acting. But the entire time, I kept feeling like we need to watch this in black and white. We need to take yeah. the color off our television because, especially at a couple key moments, there's like some. Oh, I'm gonna screw up the word. It's a tremolo strings little bit of theremin i felt Mm -hmm. like it was trying to channel bernard herman i felt like it wanted to be a twilight zone episode but also modern and it didn't know how to hit that mark so this the explanation for the syntax is yeah 
that's, my, no, uh, that's how I felt about it. Yeah, you're. I, I think you're a hundred percent in the ballpark, Matt. Um, and I, I, is ballpark the right term? I feel like you're on home plate. You're you're up to no. bat. <laughs> you're uh, pitching. You you said that right, and then he went a little. <laughs> you're you're Spike at the Red Wings game. <laughs> For our Rochester people, they'll get it. Um, no, absolutely. Not as cool as Grady, but we love them all the same. <laughs> Um, no, you're a hundred percent right. And the thing is, M Knight is a confirmed person who's just like, I have posters of Night of the Living Dead on my wall, the birds, invasion of the body snatchers, the 1950s version. This dude loves that. And I kept thinking too, while you're watching the film, I'm putting on glasses and being like, okay, swap out Mark Wahlberg with a 1950s actor in black and white and him saying the same lines with the square yeah. jaw doing that. Swap out the two people on the bench who kill themselves early on in the movie. And it's two women in 19. 50s dresses yep. and Alfred Hitchcock's directing it and they're like what part are you at in the book and then stabs herself in the neck that felt very classical it felt very much uh, even Tak Fujimoto the cinematographer on this who's famous for working with Jonathan Demme also famous for working with M. Night they work together on signs frames this in a very boxy 185 frames it very classical and almost flat like a lot of the images are flat they lack yeah. a depth which yeah. comes off as old it reads as like Twilight Zone just like you're saying it reads as 1950s paranoia films um which obviously we can look at those with a lens and be like yeah they're a little cheesy and corny but it's of the time and i think he is diving into those um those films as influence for this uh, for sure i agree because like watching it it kept me engaged the whole time but and i felt like it had the ingredients for something good right like it hit all the beats it just felt unnatural I Oh, oh, right? you know what I mean? Like all the plot points, all the interactions, it just like, you know, oh, you go to the everyone working together and oh, we're trying to run away from the city and oh, well, we got to separate because I have to go, which didn't make sense. He wouldn't have left his daughter. But character choices in here, uh, mm -mm. <laughs> we had to have things happen for the plot. I don't like it sometimes, but uh you know uh oh yeah we're gonna go try to go get help and oh no it's crazed people who you know they want to keep everyone out and then they shoot teenagers in the face so I, I felt like we hit a lot of those like you know points where it's like yeah these are all great things that should happen in this and it just unfortunately it didn't translate no well. yeah no which by the way if you watch the video on youtube that's the behind the scenes footage that they shot and they looked like they shot it all on the same day which was the day the teenagers got shot he wanted that much more gorier. And so you see the kid's like head explode and it is so intense. So he wanted to go somewhere with that, um, that it did not go <laughs> in the actual film. Um, and you can actually see Mark Wahlberg and other um, actors like interact uh, with uh, M. Night and like try to talk to him about like what's going on in the scene. And you can tell there's like dissonance between what the actor is trying to understand what's going on and what M. Night is trying to communicate. And I'm like, nobody knows how to execute what's happening right now. At least that's how I interpreted it. So if you ever just want to see that, you can go on YouTube and check it out. But it's definitely shot all in, like, when they're shooting all one scene in one day. And the, the are they called talking heads, right? When you just talk straight to the screen or yeah. the camera. Yeah, those are very interesting, too, to hear people's, like, views on what's happening. So anyways, if anyone ever wants to see that, Eric, if you haven't. Um, oh, I've seen it all. I've seen yeah. it all. All <laughs> the deleted scenes, all oh, yeah. the making of, all the B-roll. So, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. 
It was it was just I was like, oh, okay. So kind of everybody was kind of there was some dissonance behind the scenes too when it came to communicating how someone is to execute a a, a line or a scene. So yeah. Also, I just want to point out too, um, John Leguizamo's uh, portrayal of that character and like his mood swings, random mood swings, reminded me of um, Danish Girl. The man who did Danish Girl. Oh, Tom. Eddie Redmayne's portrayal in Jupiter Ascending. I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! I knew what you were going for. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it gave me the same vibes. I was like, oh, so that's why his character seems so familiar because I had already seen something that gave me the same vibes. Like the same voice, screaming, whispering, like that whole same thing. I was like, oh, I... I see where Eddie Redmayne got his um, influence from. Yeah. Which I approve, but I don't know. I thought that that character choice was just really weird too. I I hope that Eddie Redmayne took all of his acting cues just from John Leguizamo. Oh my God. I look forward to when Eddie Redmayne does his version of the clown from Spawn. Yes. That is going to be yes. a tour de force. Not to mention Mom from Spawn. The first eight minutes of the past. Yeah, the first eight minutes. <laughs> Eric, um, I, I have to ask. So as because we've yeah. we've talked about, yeah, I also feel like I have been on the M night train, but then I, I I'm on it for the village, which I know is often hated. But then I, I love fell it. off of it, like at Lady in the Water, where I was like, absolutely not. And then this just seeing happening last night for the first time did nothing to bring me back. Um, but why, Eric, out of all of them, why the happening? Like, why is this the one you got obsessed with as opposed to one of the other ones? All right, buckle in, everyone. You, I'm about to go on a tangent. So I want to talk a little bit about M. Night and why I have this appreciation association with him. And what I want to bring up is the movie Signs. And the reason I bring that up is because I believe I was 12 or 13 when that movie came out. It came out in 2002. And that movie kind of electrified me in a very visceral way. Seeing it in a theater, a theater that was scared, that was reacting that was having this emotional experience while watching the movie and what i compare it to is that science is an alien invasion film uh four years prior not four years even more than that in 1996 we had independence day come out the biggest fucking blockbuster huge spaceships huge crowd-pleasing movie and i went there it was me my brother and my grandpa brought me there so 1996 i was seven uh we go i'm so excited to see this this movie's tailor-made for a seven-year-old and dude i was bored out of my fucking mind which is crazy because it's like that movie's made for little boys to watch spaceships blowing shit up and i couldn't be more detached i couldn't be more bored i remember my grandpa fell asleep during the movie which you know grandpas fall asleep during movies it's what they do um i remember the theater also being really hot and the food wasn't good it was just a bad experience all around And I literally, that film has like scary moments and the aliens can be kind of threatening and stuff. And I went home, not really, my imagination wasn't fired up. I didn't have any problems going to sleep that night, yada, yada, yada. So here's a really embarrassing fact. When science comes out and I see that in theater with my family and friends, that night I slept on my parents' floor in their bedroom. And I was, yeah, 12, 13. I was that freaked out by the movie. Mm. And why that's the Rosetta Stone that I'm bringing up here. M. Night did this thing where he's making genre films whether it's a ghost story, a superhero film, an Unbreakable, Signs is an alien film, and he's taking away all the clutter. He's not showing you the White House and the military, things blowing up and laser guns and spaceships. He's showing you an alien standing on your on your roof. He's showing an alien in your backyard. And I don't know if it's because all of his films are in Pennsylvania, we're upstate New York. I grew <laughs> up with this scenic imagery of trees 
foliage, greenery, all of that. It felt like the movies he was telling was genre fair that could happen to me. And what that also did is because M. Night's known for his directing, he's known for his blocking, he's known for his suspense, his shot. He also allowed for young budding filmmakers like myself to now make the logical jump. Like you watch Independence Day, even at 13, say you watch it. I don't think you're taking away what it means to be filmmaker, camera positioning, or how to block a scene. You watch signs and you go, oh shit, it was effective to see an alien outside your window. I can grab my mom's video camera and have my friend do the same thing. And now you're able to piece together how to stage things, how to make films. It's not a, a coincidence that the other budding filmmakers in my high school at the time were obsessed with the village. And we would all talk about it because they were like, oh, wasn't it cool when the creature ran by like the house or ran underneath the watchtower or something like that? We can do that. We have tree forts. We can shoot downwards at someone running across, you know. And so he is someone who like was giving us, teaching us film grammar in a lot of his films because he learned from Hitchcock. He was borrowing from the film grammar of classical films and now we're learning it. And it was, I feel like uh, Shyamalan, probably Robert Rodriguez, Sam Raimi, people like that were ones where you would watch their movies and go, oh, that's how you can do this. They didn't feel so foreign or untouchable where, where you'd watch like a huge blockbuster and you're like, I, I know nothing about making a film like that, but I can make a, a superhero movie where a guy lifts weights because we have weights in our base so we can do that. So that's sort of the Rosetta Stone. Uh, Six Sense I loved, Unbreakable I loved, Signs, The Village. I was also into Lady in the Water. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. He's doing the same thing. He's taking genre affair and boiling it down to smaller, intimate moments. He's smuggling in these smaller stories. So when I got to The Happening, completely fucking let down for all the reasons you guys are saying. Like the tone was so weird, the wooden acting. I just couldn't vibe with it. I'm like, you say what you will about his previous works, but The Village and Science has good moments of intimate drama, mm -hmm. has good moments of actors like Joaquin Phoenix and Bryce Dallas Howard acting opposite each other, giving real performances. That's all gone in the happening. Those real performances that like tug at your heart are not present. So I think that's what let me down on that first viewing was like, damn, he lost something. He's doing something kind of not vapid, but something so um, cut off where you're not you're not able to connect with it. It's cold in a way. Um, so I guess going into your question of picking the happening, it's interesting that that was like my big letdown. And of course, M. Night would come out with later work that I would be uh, dissatisfied with and not connect with as strongly. But I would always come back to the happening and be like, what am I not getting here? Because I'm still oddly obsessed with it. And again, it's like watching your hero do something that you're not as fond of, but you're just like, no, you have potential, kid. Where is it? I also think with the happening, there are moments of potential throughout that carried me where I'm like, but damn, that opening scene of people jumping off the building is so yeah. cool. And why does it stray so far from those visceral moments? So I'd watch it over and over. And I think every time I would watch it, I'd pick up, oh, okay, I kind of like this moment. Oh, okay, I kind of like this moment more. And then it wasn't until this COVID screening that I went, wait a second. I think this film is actually doing something really, really crazy and really interesting. Um, also, side note, I think M. Night was doing 824 movies before 824 was a thing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. and again, oh, that's yeah. smuggling in genre affair like The Witch. But it's like artistic movies, right? It's like, oh, cool, I'm about to see a movie about the witch. But really, it's like slow burn drama. And it has another message it's doing, smuggling through. And that gets to my point. I think the happening is smuggling a really, really bleak, bleak subject material through. Uh, using a movie that's campy and corny to say something really disturbing. And we'll get to that. <laughs> Leave that, you with that little nugget. I was going to say that kind of, um, that supports my theory that I mentioned before about this movie. Because, yeah, throughout, I was like, all of his movies, he's able to, you know, take take genre plots 
and adds kind of intimate like emotion to it like uh, yeah intimate like family drama in the context mm-hmm. of like this larger you know genre alien invasion or superhero film and there's none of that here and it all like you said feels really detached and but i i feel like because you know he can do that it feels really intentional here and it made me feel like the reason for that is because he made a movie that is not on the side of humanity. Like, yeah. this is a movie about the environment, like, fighting back. And you're going to, like, well, yeah, humans have fucked up the planet. But I feel like the movie itself is, like, yeah, there's... And it, I felt that way throughout, that, you know, all of the, the sort of uh, drama between Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel, you're like, what the... Who cares about what you're talking about? And I don't think I don't think the movie cares about that. I think it's nope. like keeping you at a distance from these people. And then what it finally cemented it for me was uh, after they go to the model home, they go outside and there's a big prominent billboard that across it says, "You deserve this." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is a movie that's saying, yeah, fuck humanity, you deserve this. This is why none of the you don't get care about any of the people in this. You could like, because I, I, I feel like all of us for the one, we're like, we don't care about the you know the drama between these characters, and we're not like rooting for these characters. And I feel like, yeah, he's like, fuck these people. I feel like, <laughs> and I feel like that. So yeah, I feel like there's this really almost cynical movie that's kind of presented as like this kind of gung ho sort of horror, almost comedy thriller kind of thing, but it's also super bleak because it's like, yeah, you deserve this. That's a great. I love the word you used, Adam. You said intentional. The film feels like it has intentional qualities to it because of the yeah. previous work just exactly like you said and i agree with that you know yeah it's interesting because yeah because i feel like you know there's the weird humor throughout and i feel like it's it, it's deliberate it's trying to be funny and i feel like that is you know sort of supported in movies after this like the the visit mm-hmm. and split that had more of that humor and mm-hmm. i feel like this is kind of the first time where that showed up in his films and people didn't know what to make of it so I, don't know, I feel like, yeah, there are so many interesting elements to this movie that, yeah, made me, it's tough for me to say I didn't, I didn't like it. Cause yeah, there's so much that I'm like, this is fascinating. It makes sense why so many people bounce off of it though. Now that you've said that, cause there is no entry point for people, right? You look for somebody that you want to relate to or root for, yeah. and you don't have that here. It's just, <laughs> just it, the wind. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it's a lot like watching a little kid play with their toys, right? Like they don't really care about. <laughs> what gi joe it is because that gi joe is about to get blown up and thrown across the room right yep which is fascinating for the kid playing with it for those of us watching it we're like oh okay that's a thing you're doing cool (laughs) and that's why yeah go kp i was because i'm thinking about it and i'm like yeah because most of the characters aren't likable because they're kind of like you know you have john Leguizamo's kind of like going back and forth between his mood and then you have Zoe Deschanel is just this insufferable oh, she cheated on her husband doesn't want kids what is she good for type kind of vibe which is weird but um, I'm trying to think of like specifically what Mark Wahlberg's character did and it's just nothing he's just flat <laughs> so yeah. while I feel like some of it is intentional and like yes I do humans did deserve it right including the earth yada 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 uh, we are the parasite but like <laughs> from him maybe I think like we are supposed to like him. Like, I think he is supposed to be, like, a likable teacher who's trying to engage his kids. He just wants to be a husband with his kid. I don't know. Like, do I think he's likable? No, but I don't... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to me, he is, like, 
the cardboard copy of your protagonist that we've yeah. seen for forever. So everyone else, I agree, is not likable for specific reasons. Him, I, I don't know. The only point for which I liked him is when he was talking to the fucking plastic plant. <laughs> That's when I was like, yes, you know you're talking to a plastic plant. That is the only moment for which I liked his character and like thought it was funny and mildly relatable the entire film. So I was like, yeah, no, sometimes you find yourself talking to a plastic plant when you think you're talking to a real plant because you think the plants are killing you. <laughs> <laughs> If we've I we've all nickel. been there. Right. <laughs> if only. I was so confused too. I'm like, maybe I just don't get it. But like, where he's explaining to Zoe Deschanel that he like was hitting on the pharmacist. Like, I, I'm like, so are you okay with her? Are you not okay with her? Why didn't you just buy that bottle of six dollar cough syrup and just put yourself to sleep? Because you could have unalived a while ago and done this whole thing from having this whole spiel. Was, was he just? <laughs> Trying to make her feel better? Yes, that's what I think was happening, but okay. I don't know. My wires yeah. were crossed. Here, I have a question, and I, I tweeted this yesterday. Why do the plants, wind toxins, make people moonwalk before it kills them? Before it makes them unalive themselves? I mean, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I kept waiting for them to explain that, because there's so much that is people explaining things to each other. So I kept waiting for someone to say something about that, but that never happened. No, and I understood like yep you you stop okay and it's freaky right because you're like oh you know somebody just stops moving they're not engaged what's happening there so you get that kind of uncomfortableness and like it was uncomfortable but then they took a step back what are we doing the shuffle i don't (laughs) keep a shuffle we're gonna do the margarita what's happening Not to go back to Mark Wahlberg, but that is still one of the elements that I think, even with the intentionality of the film and the vibe that it's going for and the weirdness, like Zoe Deschanel could show up in Twin Peaks The Return and be totally fine in that show. If she mm-hmm. showed up at the Double R Diner from Twin Peaks and she was a David Lynch film, you'd be like, this is brilliant. Like her acting so bizarre or whatever. And I, I don't want to say this is a straw man argument to be like, oh, he was going for a David Lynch vibe, even though he has uh, uh, talked about his love for David Lynch, talked about his love for Twin Peaks. She feels straight out of, uh, yeah, Twin Peaks where you would have the like doughy-eyed woman who would just be like talking kind of nonsense in a very weird candor and it's just like, oh, she's kind of unique and she's um, um, peculiar <laughs> in a sense. And in this movie, I give her performance way more forgiveness than I do Mark Wahlberg. I think he just doesn't click. They either should have went like John Hamm and really went into the yeah. square-jawed uh, yeah. hero or even like a Jeff Goldblum <laughs> could have been interesting, kind of nervous, oh, yeah. meek, science teacher uh just to give you guys some background i did read an early version of the screenplay titled the green effect before it was called the happening and uh mark Wahlberg's character elliot moore had more character qualities as in he had a guitar strapped to his back the entire film because he was also not only a science teacher but a budding musician and he wanted to maybe write music um and i say that cheekily because it's like very very 2d black kind of character development to be like oh put a guitar on it back and that's your character <laughs> and it is interesting that they got rid the guitar with you yeah, he's a man of science and creativity we can take him into the next phase of earth exactly the plants exactly. he's got it all chiseled jaw <laughs> a guitar on his back and he's a man of science when he explained the scientific math method i when people were killing themselves i was like just stop <laughs> Just stop. Just stop. I don't believe it. You've told me what the scientific method is, but it's come out of your mouth, and I don't believe you're a science teacher. <laughs> that entire 
that, that's the scene where he was like, give me time and kept shushing people, right? And kept just going through and then, that one. Yeah, and it's an intense time, right? Because, like, you're in a group of people and, and you're, you're like, safe and people are killing themselves. Yeah. And then, and yeah, I think what's I think what's kind of ironic about it too is they do it more in the screenplay. Actually, throughout the screenplay, he is using an old test that he gave his students to refer to as the event is transpiring. He's writing notes on the back of it, like, "Oh, this is weird. This many people are dying when they're in this populated an area," and he's keeping track of it. This film, he says he's a science teacher in the beginning in the classroom. We then go the whole first half of the movie where he's not bringing up science at all, but then it kind of comes, comes back, back at the end where he starts talking about it a little bit more and I think it did a little bit of a disservice because I know it's not great character development but if he was always in his head the entire film talking about science not relating to other humans but always being in his head being like well there's a scientific reason there's a scientific reason maybe that would have created it's like oh he's not uh, connecting as a human to people he's just always in his head trying to like rationalize things which is also peculiar because in his class he taught at the beginning of the film he said we shouldn't rationalize things. Things don't have meaning. Like we should be in awe of like nature and not go, oh, it's pollution that's killing everyone or it's Mother Earth attacking us. We don't know what's going on. And I think the film really pushes this message that's like, yeah, we can laugh and be like, is it the wind? But at the same time, it never makes like a, a point to be like, no, this is exactly what's happening. This is it is the wind and it's microbes in the wind or like amoeba or something. It, well, it's like I, a, the way I look at it is is that it, it's. I read an article um, in like Wired where the journalist was interviewing scientists and was like, so are there plants in regards to this movie? And there's algae that will kill people. Mm. Like it will destroy your um, like nervous system. Yep. Yeah. So it's not uncommon. Obviously. I mean, we know like there's tons of poisons, right? Don't eat certain mushrooms, berries, whatever. Um, so I think what kind of made this interesting, right, is it's rooted in science yeah. and then it just builds on that, right? So you, yeah. you take something and then you kind of just deviate from reality a little bit to make it more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I did look though, cause I was like, why? I was like, I get it. American movie, New York city. And you're saying he's from that, like most of his films are, are shot around that area, like in rural New York and Pennsylvania. So I'm like, but I know America's like, we're pretty bad pollution wise, but I know we're not even close to the worst. So I 100% Googled like top worst polluted cities and nowhere near America's not even top 10. Like there's not even a, a single American city that's top 10. Just for the record, like America, we're still not doing so hot, but we're not. We're not even the top 15. Aw, that makes me feel better. <laughs> it gets so bad sometimes in China and Korea where you have to wear a mask. mask. Right. Yeah, they'll tell yeah. you like pollution levels are so bad that you have to wear a mask. So, yeah. But don't get slack in America. We're not telling you out there to slack. Well, it's the CEO's got to, you know, whatever, major corporations. But it's major it. corporations. Yeah, no, yeah. correct. It is major corporations. We have major little to Major corporations are right. making the bees disappear. What were you saying, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. We have little to no impact on it. It's yeah. Uh, would you believe my hottest of hot takes, and it's not really a hot take, is that the surface level narrative of the film, the wind and the plants killing people, is very much a Trojan horse to the uh, two undercurrent narratives that the movie is trying to tell, similar to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where it's like, no, it's not really about aliens and pod people. That's the fun stuff that brings you to the movie. It's really about socialism and our, uh, sorry, not socialism, but communism and uh, the Red Scare that was happening in the 50s. So. So, um, it's human I, nature. Help your fellow man or shoot him in the face with a shotgun. It's up to you. 
I, well, it goes back to actually your moonwalking thing and intentionality where he does something very, very specific. And sorry, trigger warning, we're going to get into some of the darker stuff and some of the darker stuff that I'm about to talk about. So everyone, brace yourselves, listeners and guests here. Um, he doesn't create a scenario where, oh, this wind toxin comes and you convulse and fall to the ground and like bleed out of your eyes, right? Like a natural like sickness or like, oh, this toxin comes and you walk into traffic because your, your brain turns to mush. A lot of the deaths, if not 99% of the deaths in this is very tailored around suicidal imagery. It is the toxin gets into you and you cut your wrist. The toxin gets into you and you shoot yourself in the head. The toxin gets into you and you throw yourself off a building. Um, Again, feed yourself to lions. Feed yourself to lions. Exactly. Maybe that's the one that doesn't incredibly, (laughs) but but again, you know, uh, a lot of the imagery in here is truly, it's very specifically and pointedly being like no it's not just you get sick or you like bend over and become a zombie you are doing acts that uh, are very uh, uh, related to when people commit suicide um, it makes you kill yourself and I think again this going into I guess my biggest theory which I'll put out in the open I think this movie is a lot about depression I think it is about suicide I think it's about leaving big cities and people and going to smaller smaller spaces and isolating and self-isolating as someone who has dealt with depression, that's something you can do and that's something that people do. And I think M. Night is really talking about that in this film and kind of smuggling in a campy 1950s throwback picture. I think if he was to go with the bluntness of what like suicide and depression is, like just imagine you guys seen like Ex Machina and Annihilation, right? Alex Garland. Just imagine that someone with that visceral of a filmmaking style is like, okay, I'm going to tackle like suicide and depression through like a campy sci-fi movie. I think it would be like overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It'd be like super visceral, maybe too bleak to even watch. In a weird way, he's doing it in this peculiar movie where humans don't make sense. They don't make sense to each other when they speak to each other. Just okay, the last scene, right, with the two French people and they're walking. They're two friends, and yet the one friend's speaking nonsense. He doesn't understand him anymore. And that's kind of that disassociation where, say, you see a friend, you know, go down that path, or you see someone deal with depression or suicidal thoughts. It's like, oh, I don't understand this person anymore and i can't relate to them uh and then yeah unfortunately what happens in these situations people do kill themselves and so i think in a weird way this film is not in a weird way i think in a very intentional way is kind of smuggling those notions in which goes back to my theory everyone's fucking wearing blue in this movie and blue while there is a calmness and neutrality to like wearing blue it's also a sign of depression it's a sign of sadness it's a sign like zoe deschanel has a blue dress the entire time a lot of the characters in the group shots are wearing blue um I even think the mood ring has like the blue symbolism that they're doing. Uh, so there is that aspect to it, uh, which is interesting. And it didn't really show up until COVID hit and you're like alone in your fucking apartment and you're like watching it and you're like, oh, weird. Literally, the movie goes from Philadelphia to our main characters in two separate boxes. At the end, Mark Wahlberg's in his own box. He literally walks through a blue door to get into that box. I don't know if you caught that, but he walks through a blue door to get into this isolated box. Zoe Deschanel's in the other box and they're now two people that have left population, have left people out into the countryside to essentially die. And like the only way to overcome this is to like reconcile, to find humanity, to be people together, to actually like have love for each other and find solace within other people, to return to the city. So uh, that's one of two different Trojan horse things I think he's smuggling through this movie. So uh, is that a lot? Was that a can of worms? I don't know. (laughs) 
Aaron's face journey. Uh, oh, covered yeah. It, so <laughs> was awesome both both eric both what you said and aaron's face journey both excellent like my brain exploded it exploded in my head um that was a journey thank you for taking us on that eric um (laughs) and it's a lot it's a lot because obviously that's like a very heavy subject so i don't want to like drag it into that but at the same time i think that's what i find interesting where it's like he is truly using like you see john Luxamo, they hit the tree in the car and he gets out and he uses the glass from the car to like cut his wrist i'm that's intense imagery but it's shot very flat it's shot like psycho or alfred hitchcock's psycho or it's shot like invasion of the body snatchers so he's using almost a disconnect of the 50s like uh, milieu or whatever you want to call it to capture something that's super bleak that's super like um, heavy it's a very very heavy idea they did him so dirty in this they film. did him dirty i know he's so good he would not also have loved his child okay <laughs> <laughs> he would not have that's what i'm saying and i think up until that point has shown me 100 he would not have left her to go find his wife he wouldn't have she can't do anything without her mother well what's she gonna do without you you schmuck like, that's what i'm but, saying he couldn't even get a glass sense. of water <laughs> it did not make sense but i wonder if that ultimately that does reinforce you know the theory about this in this case is that it is it's so bleak because the humans in this case all make stupid decisions or in that Mm. case make terrible like he doesn't again this is very bleak but like he doesn't deserve to live because he makes a terrible decision in that case you know what i mean like it's just kind of reinforcing that point but also i think going back with eric what you said is that and technically adam what you also said is that uh, eric i think that's an amazing read on this because i think that that does reinforce when Shyamalan is at his best though is taking those larger esoteric themes and putting them through this lens because speaking just as someone who is not religious but Mm -hmm. i do find myself being you know spiritual and i think faith is very interesting that's why i love signs like love signs to death because i think it manages to analyze that entire concept on what do people look for in connection beyond themselves and like the happening is kind of in effect the opposite in that case because it's literally about the individual soloing of of everything but Mm -hmm. I, I think, yeah, I think that's a really interesting read on that, Eric, because, yeah, I, I did not pick up on that, but I think that that's what he's so strong at is smuggling those other ideas in. Whether or not it's fully successful, but it's always, it's definitely interesting. I mean, right. I will say this 100%. The first time I remember experiencing a twist in a film was Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Like, the first time I was shocked and like, I'm sorry, what? oh my god he didn't talk to anybody oh my god he is dead like that's the first time i was ever truly shocked at it like i had never experienced a twist in a film before or like noticing the importance of the color red in a film or like anything like that that was the sixth sense so i mean sorry that had to be his first film and everybody was he was pigeonholed by you have to have twists in film and he went a little, you know, I think he got a little pigeonholed by that, um, in my opinion. Um, and I think, uh, what film was it where I think he was, you know, using it as a therapy um, to express how he felt pigeonholed in his writing? I want to say it was, um, Meg was telling me, I forgot what film it was, but anyways. Um, anyways, yeah, The Sixth Sense. That was the first time I experienced a twist. So I will say I know he knows how to write and knows how to direct. So, I mean, you can't, can't win them all. <laughs> And I would say, like, this is, doesn't have a twist. Like, this isn't a no, twist. No. So, like, I, you know, Eric's peeling back here and, and seeing the bigger picture or the smaller picture. But yeah. this, this to me, from the perspective of, like, the overall plot, it just 
here's a movie of people running kind of from nature, right? There's no surprise there. Yeah, they're 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 running from nature, but uh, uh, the dialogue is constantly saying we need to get away from people. We need to shut the doors, close the windows, get away from yeah. her, get away from Mrs. Jones, get away from this person, get away from groups, which is an isolating thing. It's a it's a thing yeah. where sorry, Aaron, I'm so sorry. I'm going to say this. I'm so so sorry, but cats do that when they when they die, right? They go and they hide somewhere, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there's a cat She's people right for those listening. Um, but yeah, like my cat did that where it's just like, oh, it's his time to die. He found a space and like that's how he passed. And so that's what these characters are doing. And yeah, as much as we can say the literal where it's like they're running from the wind, they got to get away from people because it's triggering it. I think that's like simplistic to be like, oh, he's just commenting on pollution. Um, because here's my second theory and my other hot take. This film came out in 2008, same year that Cloverfield came out, and same year and the next few years and the few years before that, filmmakers are now processing and uh, finally making their films in response to 9-11, which happened in 2001. Most filmmakers, like with Cloverfield or Man of Steel or superhero movies, usually use the visceralness, buildings crashing, exploding, you know, like that intensity of a tragedy like that. Um, this film in particular is almost commenting on like the sad and benign of like that kind of thing like look no further than obviously the imagery of people jumping off buildings is present in this film um, also people trying to run from cities and go somewhere where it's safer because you want to get out of the place where an, like an attack just happened and obviously the movie brings up terrorism so there's like constantly. it's constantly, constantly like right it's constantly bringing up and bringing you know that notion but I think more so than just being a 9-11 movie again I think in comparison to apocalyptic or paranoia movies this movie is not interested in the panic of that like just imagine just uh, remember the scene in the train station people aren't pushing each other crawling over each other to get into the train it's the benignness of like fear and tragedy where we're all trying to act human and get to the next thing i remember when covid started being in a supermarket was fucking weird because everyone was smiling and cordial and you handed your money to someone like any other we weren't obviously there was instances of people throughout the country being crazy too but for the most part 99 of the time you have this weird dark cloud over you where you're like oh there's this thing could potentially hurt me could hurt others but i'm gonna buy my milk and buy my eggs gonna pay and go on and this movie really relishes in like all right you're on a train okay we gotta let you off okay go hang out at this diner go hang out at this botanist house like kind of the weird let's be normal i mean these people have like a dinner with like a lady that they meet and it's like very just like we're just gonna have dinner and we're kind of ignoring maybe what's happening in our relationship we're ignoring what's happening on the outside world we're not addressing our issues internally. We're just going to pretend things are normal and keep up almost uh, the human uh, etiquette of just living and doing your day in and day out stuff. I think that's really interesting because look at Cloverfield. That very much is the panic, the sweat, the tears, the running, the screaming, the agony of a situation like this, where this is more of like what's left unsaid, hmm. um, the fear of it all. So yeah. uh, I think he is making his take on it and he's picking the interesting avenue. I got to say, he's swinging for something kind of interesting scene that he's trying to pinpoint on yeah i i it's interesting you say that because yeah i had that thought while watching that i thought some of its most this was most effective moments were capturing that kind of underwhile underlying sense of almost like bewilderment like mm. what do we do now it's not like fear or like this uh, you know, just that sense of like i don't know what to do now so i'm just kind of kind of sort of go about life and maybe i guess do something that it's just, yeah it's like that helplessness 
I mm-hmm. thought it was really interesting. So, so yeah, it's interesting interesting to hear you say that because, yeah, I thought it did that really well. And I liked that about it. And also maybe it was just too soon for me too, for me to, to know that that was a feeling that was going to happen in this film. And I was like, well, I'll just watch recaps of it because <laughs> I've seen it once before. I don't need to relive that right now. <laughs> I don't need to be there. I think, too, there's something interesting to be said about, like, the message of the movie, regardless how you feel about, like, the characterization. And I don't think these are characters. I really think they are these strange alien life forms that they put in front of the movie. Zoe Deschanel and Mark Wahlberg. Uh, The whole movie, they're reacting based on fear, right? And fear is a huge theme in M. Night's work. Look at the village. All this tragedy and fear and stuff has happened to these characters. So they, spoiler, 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 they created this village to escape fear and created these monsters to keep people contained in this space and this movie is like here's tragedy here's fear here's like things that we're scared of right get away from it ignore it don't talk about it with your significant other get to a place where we can be alone and that's their downfall is like they have to finally speak to each other one-on-one and come to uh, an understanding and reconnect to actually i guess what it's saying it's like in the, in the case of fear tragedy or hardships do we lie down and kind of just die or do you have to like face it and overcome it and they choose to be like all right yes the wind's killing us we're gonna literally walk out into the wind and choose to be with each other and choose that over being the fear of close the windows lock the doors hide in your own box like hide in your mind pretty much i feel like those like different rooms represent their mind that that sinking feeling of anxiety of paranoia of depression where you just go in 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 where you have to find a way to get out of that you have to rise up and get out of that so i think that's our thing he likes to touch on that the themes of fear and how do we address the how do we is it bad to ignore those it's like a parable where it's like do we ignore those things or does it just all i'm going to say is mrs jones who's uh, you know i and my lemon drink lady <laughs> at the end of the film i think she's the future version of what zoe deschanel mark Wahlberg are going to become she is someone who's isolated who doesn't watch the news who doesn't want to hear about the tragedies of the earth something bad happened to her and she decided to pick up her things and leave and go into this place where she doesn't want to be bothered and while i would say like some people can live like that and power to them i'm not gonna like shit on her choosing to being like fuck people i'm gonna find my own way you can see there is a rage in her a bitterness and untrustworthiness of people she doesn't respond well to her guests that are in her house. She invites them in, but she's slapping that little girl's hand and she's screaming at Mark you. Wahlberg when he's looking at her weird doll in her bed. And you're like, don't look at my doll. And she's being nuts. She, I think, is the future projection if they keep going down this place of like, well, we just leave the city and just leave people and we can have a house here in the middle of nowhere and we can get away from tragedy. It's like, well, you might become detached and you might become someone who's bitter and angry that running from something maybe isn't the best answer. So again, I think that's another notion that he's he's playing with. Everyone's wearing blue, guys. Everyone's <laughs> wearing blue. I swear to God, watch the film. Everyone's fucking wearing blue. The French people at the end are wearing blue. It's wild, man. <laughs> also, for the record, France 100% not even in the top 15. <laughs> 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 Just saying. <laughs> But they do yeah. have nice, large outdoor spaces, so that counts for something. <laughs> Did anyone else feel claustrophobic to watching the film? It's so weird that this movie takes place in broad daylight, 
wide scenic landscapes outdoors and the whole time i felt that like closing in feeling while watching it which is really interesting um and i think that's like the close-ups that he does how he stages people around the frame how they're always like in semi-circles a lot of the times when he's blocking them there was this like sense of like the walls closing in even though we're outdoors blue sky and all that it's it was very interesting uh, eric i will say with that i i think my favorite shot in it which is probably slightly showier because like you could you could pick like mark Wahlberg sitting along the um the road when you know the girl comes over and hugs him as, as like a lovely really nicely done simple shot but i think my favorite shot is the one that does give me that sense of actually like feeling like a classic Shyamalan, like something's coming for you. It's when they're trying to outrun the wind in the field, but there's like this higher crane shot that swoops down at them Mm -hmm. as they're running and the wind is going. And I legitimately was like, this is it. This is the moment in this that I feel like he was trying to get of this, of the, like of that kind of a visceral reaction. I felt it. And then it was, but but (laughs) that, Sure. Maybe because they're trying to outrun the wind. <laughs> like, you've already failed. It's, it's the wind. Well, okay, so here's my next question. Is it like the plants and the wind working together? Is it like, I know you need the wind to kind of create that tension, right? Because it's not just trees just minding their own business. You know? <laughs> they keep killing people when you walk too close. You know yeah. it's like... <laughs> Still frames of trees is just a bridge too far, I feel. Yeah, that would be <laughs> visually challenging. <laughs> Gotta and have a- that ominous vibe. Yeah. And again, I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be such a dick about this or not a dick. Maybe that's not the word. I'm just gonna be like straw man argument through it all or whatever but i think one on the surface the movie multiple times always says could be the wind could be a terrorist attack be this i know we're saying that it's the wind and the movie makes that strong argument but even one thing mark Wahlberg is not a good science teacher and he keeps proposing these things where he says oh we got to get in groups less people less people but it still attacks them at the end right they're a small group and it still gets them so even what he thinks it is and they make multiple points there's the kid in the class in the beginning who's just like it's an act of nature and we'll never understand it and then at the end the person on the tv is like i don't i don't know if we'll ever be able to like comprehend what this is i don't know if it's necessarily mystical what's happening or bigger than just mother nature taking hold of us i'm not a spiritual person so the notion that mother nature could just be like killing us and we're we're scientifically being like oh it's the trees it's bacteria it's amoebas but maybe it is a force that they look just as silly as when you know them running from the wind is just as silly as us buying toilet paper and just as silly as us like stocking up on water and pouring gasoline in our shoes to be like i got more gasoline and i'm gonna go home and save my gasoline so seeing people run from the wind feels silly because you're trying to rationalize the irrational or you're trying to make sense of something that maybe doesn't have that easy and simplistic of a thing it it happens to us when we get paranoid and we start acting irrationally when you're in a what i just said you take gasoline and you're filling up your mom's fruit bowl just because you want more gasoline you guys saw the imagery right you guys also oh, yeah. Yeah. and so see people scatter and try to go well it is the wind it's the trees it's mother nature maybe that's it's also being tongue-in-cheek we're just like yeah we, we start going crazy and i guess if it goes back to the metaphor of like outrunning fear it's like I can't really outrun that or how that's going to overtake you or lead to more dire consequences so um so that's my hot take or just it's... my theory just that people are stupid and they all deserve to die <laughs> exactly. people are very stupid and poison ivy finally batman couldn't stop her this time dr <laughs> pamela Isley 
got it together and she made this happen <laughs> she loves this movie i bet she this is her favorite movie listen there's that Batman animated episode where she turns people into trees i mean this is the next best thing <laughs> oh that should be the fanfic we write where poison ivy's watching the happening and she's obsessed with it there we go it's date night with harley <laughs> <laughs> Also, there. <laughs> I'm gonna have a lot to talk about with my therapist tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. <laughs> I will say, M. Night did leave something out of the film that was in the original script that was super interesting. Um, he left, he changed a couple things the guitar on the back and this and this and that. But there was a sequence where when they show up to a house after like the model house sequence, they show up to another abandoned house. And inside, the family's all slaughtered. They've all killed themselves. Uh, but they're just looking for food or water or something like that. And Mark Wahlberg walks out into the backyard and he goes into a barn. And he finds a girl in there, like a 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl tied up. And what's haunting about that is that if you're acting irrationally or these, you know, the toxins affecting you, it seems like this family like physically restrained this person to not hurt themselves. Uh, and it also felt like a little bit of homage to Night of the Living Dead where they go down into the basement and there's the girl with the with the shovel who, who attacks our heroes in that film. So he finds this girl and he's mortified that she's tied up and seemingly alive. So he unties her and she goes and drowns herself. Like she jumps into a well or something and like kills herself. And you realize, oh my God, she was tied up because she was just going to hurt herself. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting because again, it, it was delving more into how scary of a situation this would be if it was happening like zombies or anything where people are being affected. And it's like, oh, what happens if you tie someone down so they don't hurt themselves? Um, so that was left out. Also, the two teenage kids that they meet on their journey in the screenplay, they weren't shot. They actually leave the group and kind of become a little bit of like anarchists. And they're like, fuck this. We're going to burn down this field over here. If it is the plants, because Elliot Moore, Mark Wahlberg's character keeps saying, it's the plants, it's the plants. They're like, fuck it. We're going to go burn down these plants. So they like soak a field in gasoline and they light it on fire. But then they walk into the field killing themselves because it does affect them. And I'm like, damn, that's mortifying. Like, that's wow. a horrifying they sequence. Throw a, they throw a gender reveal part that goes horribly around. Horribly around. <laughs> Did that happen? They yeah. can't afford to pay the fines for destroying the state park, so they commit on a live. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, the, remind me about that one. Yeah, the California fires were started by a gender reveal party gone wrong. In uh, Arizona, right? I think it was Arizona. National, yeah, there was a national park. It was like, yeah, not good. And, it was, and he was like a park ranger. It's a park ranger! No. <sighs> Going back to Adam, you deserve this, people. <laughs> Stop <laughs> it. Yeah. Eric, I have a... Okay, I'm going to take one second to just do a little score corner before I ask you another <laughs> Hell question, yeah. Eric, which is just... I just want to mention that, like, I think Shyamalan and James Newton Howard have one of the all-time great director-composer pairings, just did amazing work together. And I feel Agreed. like this one honestly is actually no exception. The end credit suite on its own that mixes all the motifs and includes the hand percussion that I actually find very creepy, I think is perfect and amazing. But they did part ways after After Earth. They did this and then they did um, Avatar um, and mm -hmm. then they did After Earth. And then they parted ways even when Shyamalan came back to doing Split and then Glass, like mm -hmm. even back to his Unbreakable quote unquote universe. Eric, I haven't, I haven't watched more of the newer 
newer works by him. I think it is interesting that what I've heard from people saying that it does feel like it's an, a new stage in his career and he's doing kind of new stuff. For me, it's interesting to see it like through the lens of like also he's gone in a new musical direction. But do mm-hmm. you do you feel like his more recent work as someone who was very influenced by his early work? is in a different direction now? That is such a great question. Uh, what I will say, yeah, the James Newton Howard M. Night collaboration is iconic, and That's I agree. Cool. It's such a good relationship, the same way Spielberg and Williams have it, Elfman and Burton. Like, those two are simpatico. Yeah. They they build to such great crescendos together. M. Night's known for his endings. Ironically, with this film, it's like he is like all about making minimalistic endings. You have a superhero movie where the superhero gets like beat up and chokes someone one out if there no one throws a punch he makes signs where the most american thing happens and alien gets beat by a baseball bat and it's not lasers and guns and tanks and all that he makes the happening where the climactic thing is two people walk in a field together and, yeah. but it's always building to these symphonic uh scores where the music finally breaks into a pure emotion in all of his films he does a village and so on and so forth um yeah so they parted ways what i know and understand about the reasoning for parting ways i think with m night's return with the visit and split and glass i think he was really much especially after after earth after earth was like will smith was like directing half of that film and the studio was like overseeing every move he was very much a work for hire i think he was looking for a reinvention and i think when people have those reinventions they usually surround themselves with new talent and younger crew and younger artists so he got a new cinematographer that he's never used before and he the the cinematographer from it follows and he's used him for uh split last and even old coming up his new right. film in july uh, same cinematographer and the same um, musician which i don't know his name but he's using a new musician in his films here's all i'll say the scores don't suffer they're actually really really good scores oh, yeah. do i wish james newen howard was back absolutely right. but these scores are, are are very interesting um and yeah, and I wonder if it—I wonder if it's a reinvention thing, and I wonder if it's—it's uh, also he's making smaller movies. Not to say James Newton Howard's commanding like some ridiculous fee. I don't think it'd be a money thing, but M Night's making movies now for five million, a million, ten million, smaller budgets, and I think he is trying to be scrappy with some of his funds for sure. Yeah, and I know that definitely in that case, James Newton Howard is does not come cheap, especially with the amount right. of orchestra he's asking for. So yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, good point. But what I will say, I've really liked his output it's so funny he kind of came back with split and or with the visit and then split and both of those movies are maybe a little bit more traditional split is definitely more traditional in sense of like he's not really trying to swing for something as uh peculiar as the happening he's not taking that experiment Mm -hmm. uh but with glass he kind of he kind of swung for the fences again and was trying something very unique and and it rubbed people in the wrong way too where it's a very divisive divisive film so it's funny but i think he's doing it now within smaller budgets and he's using his own money now to finance things which is crazy he's just like all right if the studios aren't gonna do it i'll just use my own money and and i think that makes him scrappier it makes him more interesting like the happening i didn't even look up the budget was it it was like 60 million for this movie which is kind of crazy when you think there's not that many special effects it's not let's see oh the budget budget was 48 million okay i was like eric after Mortal Kombat, I'm surprised you didn't know what the budget was. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm failing over here. Shit. <laughs> but that that's a big budget for a movie that takes place in Pennsylvania <laughs> outdoors. <laughs> like, you know. So And inflation. Think, we gotta go back in time, two thousand eight. Yeah, right. what is it now? <laughs> Hundred and twenty. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. <laughs> it feels right. <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll go with it. But yeah, James Dean Howard, speaking of him, I downloaded uh, Unbreakable Score, The Village Score. I'm like, I just need it on my iPhone. Like, it's been too long just listening to those scores. The, the Village is an all-timer. Like, it's a top 10 of all time for me. Like, it's, it's yeah. amazing. Uh, so what I'm hearing is we need to have a follow-up now where Anomaly all goes and sees old so we can now see where he's gone now and yes. have a follow-up here. I'm not going to watch a trailer because I feel like um, I haven't watched The Village again, but I remember just being burned so bad because I, I think it was like, no, you know, they show the trailer is one thing and then you go and you're like, oh, and like, I don't know. I didn't know any better. So it's like, <laughs> I think at the time, I, I don't know, I was in high school and I like the trend of going to see horror movies and not understanding his style. So it was like, what did I just do? <laughs> Creepy, I get it. My, again, I'm a weirdo. The, my issue with the village, I lived the village. Like that was, I, it doesn't it didn't work on me as a horror movie. I was like, yeah, that's that's how I live. It's fine. So yeah, I feel like, I feel you lived like... in eighteen. You live in a village that pretended it was in the eighteen hundreds, and then there was a scary thing around in the edge, and it turned out that scary thing was people, and then someone accidentally killed you, and then fell in a pit, and then you were a blind person that went out, and then you found it was fake, but like you only figured it out because somebody told you, but you couldn't tell what you were because you were blind. You know, Aaron, and that really does kind of sum it up. Behind the scenes at the Genesis Country Museum. It was like, it was like a speed run of that plot. <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah. Movie affected me deeply, and so I very much it is seared into my brain what happened because I'm like, oh my god, that person's dead. Oh my god, they're just trying to scare kids. Oh my god, but she has a disability and now she's out in the world and she doesn't know what's happening. I was so mad. So anyways. Yeah, see, and that's one of those things where I'm like, maybe I would go back now because I just, you know, I don't know, checked it off the list. You know, it made me mad at the time, but not I just there's They're no historians? To it. They're historians yeah. and academics? So anyways. Here's my okay. question. But why do you go all the way back there? Like I know water, toilets. God, at least I don't know, people a- like being dirty. I <laughs> at least pick a time with plum plumbing. Like, come on, Jesus. People like from all the nineteenth qu- century. They love it. So all these questions and more will be answered in our episode. The village. <laughs> oh Lord, no! We got to pick a more like insane M Night film. We got to do like Lady in the Water or something. Oh, <laughs> we'll get really into the weeds on that. But I'm totally down with the village. That'd be baller. Should we just do the whole M Night Shyamalan career? Yes, absolutely. I'll teach a class. Do you want a four-hour episode? No, involved. It's going to be at least half a day. Well, we can't talk about Avatar. I mean, you really just got to skip that. Yeah, that That's- has to go. We can't. But, uh, I kind of want to talk about Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. No, I don't no, have some hot take. Wanna, Eric, if you want to talk about the cartoon at all day long, <laughs> <laughs> my my only hot take is that that movie fucking sucks. But oh god. Not to go on an avatar uh, a rant here, but still, it's a terrible movie. It, it's it's whitewashed. It's just oh my god! Oh, so the Airbender evil. one. Yeah, last Airbender. James Cameron. Now they're blue people. I know it's not a great film, but the rides at Disney World are quite wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'll see a. Yeah, probably won't see the last Airbender rides. 
based on that movie anywhere, I don't think. Oh, I don't man. <laughs> I would 100%. Would you, like, what would the last airbender rides be? You, like, Appa. Uh, Appa. Appa. Oh, you gotta go yeah. swimming with the fish in the water park, the koi, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know you keep telling me to watch, and I'm, I keep. Oh, man. What if there was, like, a part, like, a photo? You know what I mean? Like, where you could, you know, stick your face in, but it's, like, <laughs> you know, like, when Katara is, they're trying to make it seem like she can earth bend. <laughs> And it's all over my TikTok, so I feel like I'm missing I'm missing context for things. Yeah, the one thing I'll say about The Last Airbender, and this goes back to something Matt brought up, the James Newton Howard and I'm Night collaboration, the whole movie is like, that's not a movie I can like defend by any means necessary, but it gets to a certain point. It's like the last four minutes of the film where, spoilers, Aang makes a giant wave to scare off the, the Fire Nation and the music, the characters' emotions, the direction, the shot composition, everything finally clicks and you're like, damn, this moment of like bliss was wasted in a film that's so problematic so so uh disrespectful to the source material and just so um uninteresting and then you go damn it's still in him and i think that's like mirage on the horizon sometimes with m night where it's like uh, like matt said the the in the happening the crane shot into the the field and the dress blowing and all that you have these moments where you're like there he is that's him batting at 100 that's him doing something um innovative and interesting yeah wow also this movie ends bleak as fucking shit right people can tell me about Zoe oh Deschanel. Yeah, she's finally pregnant, right? Is that the whole, I don't know. Yeah. Right, they finally decide to bring life into this world. So it's kind of like, oh, happy ending, I guess. And they have this kind of like new uh, new nuclear family with John Leguizamo's kid and they're sending her off to school. Things are returning back to normal. But then we cut to France and it's happening again. And it very much reminds me of Invasion of the Body Snatchers where at the end, it could happen to you. You're wow. next. You're the pop people. And just this, this uh, notion of this will always happen. And if we're going with the theme of fear and depression and tragedy it's almost suggesting like it's cyclical just because you overcome one tragedy say 9-11 covid or another tragedy is right around the corner whether it's personal whether it's on a national level whether it's on a global level and so is it a parable or is it a warning to be like shit will happen again how will you deal with that next wave of shit are you going to succumb to your little hole on mrs jones's farm where you can talk to someone through a pipe and go through the blue door and be alone or will you like stand in the face of fear and address it and address other people which um, is interesting it, Eric it did make me think the cyclical nature did make me think since we're recording this as the news reports about Delta variants are, I know. are going around it made me feel uh, like ooh that's it's a bleak note to, uh, to end my stomach dropped my stomach oh, dropped I <laughs> all of 2020 was just one bad thing after another I mean it was <laughs> yeah. just one one cataclysmic event either on a small scale or on a larger scale right can't can't there's not food people are losing their jobs you, you know just madness madness yeah. people running or getting sick or dying and you got people who don't want to act like a human and be respectful you know like kind of yeah <laughs> that's one thing that they should have had in the movie people who were just like and my trouble and take this note next time <laughs> there will be morons who will be outside yelling at the wind saying fuck you <laughs> <laughs> Just stepping outside and inhaling deeply to own the libs. (laughs) Try and take me out, and and the moonwalk commences, and (laughs) 
I mean, there were a couple cutaways to people loading guns. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the two teenagers who get shot. So uh, probably like hitting it over the head for sure. But if we're thinking 1950s throwback movie, yeah. it is the notion of like, oh, here's this thing that's happening. And also humans can go to like depraved places because they don't want to trust other people and they don't want to um, um, try to be humane during a crazy paranoid time. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> well. Bleak, people. It's bleak. <laughs> A lot of blue. Just watch it again on mute, people, so you don't have to listen to Mark Wahlberg. But point out all the blue. You'll see a lot of fucking blue in this movie. Just speed run through it and then stop at your favorite favorite quotes, you know? Like, yeah. like hot dogs, cheese and crackers. Uh, I, listen, I, I, douchebag is my favorite There's YouTube videos that's compilations of the best parts of the happening. Okay? I watched a few. It's, it's just great. They'll help you. I hope one of them, well, the one I wanted, was just shots of Zoe Deschanel looking confused or incredulous at Mark Wahlberg. Just the expressions that she got were just phenomenal. I hope yes. she just, yeah, strung them all together. So, one, one of the videos described it as it's, she was acting as if she was getting her lines fed to her through an earpiece. <laughs> like she'd never read them or seen them before, except for the moment that it was getting recorded. I believe it 100%. That sounds 100% right. I said that's kind of accurate. Coming in hot. Coming in hot. No clue. She doesn't even know what movie she signed up for. No. At least Marky Mark appeared to be figuring out what kind of movie he was in. The hot dog guy 100% knew what kind of movie he was in. I think John too, right? John John Leguizamo knew it and he just took it to a thousand unnecessarily. Yeah. You know, the mood swings, not, you know, that was just a lot, my dude. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, there were choices made. John Leguizamo made a lot of choices. He made a lot <laughs> of choices, but I, they still did him very, very dirty unnecessarily. He again, stand by, wouldn't give up his kid. Okay, that's all I gotta say. Even during that scene where he's giving up his child, uh, Zoe Deschanel in the background is reacting like they're talking about what they're getting for dinner. Then <laughs> she's just kind of like, like looking up, responsible for this little human <laughs> in a crisis. <laughs> In a in a life or death crisis, like like you better take uh, if you take her hen, you better. Well, I was like, oh my god, she was just a book bag, honestly. I mean, yeah, <laughs> she, she was really the was. teddy bear you wanted to fare and had to carry around, and you were upset <laughs> the rest of the time because you're like, oh god, it's so hot. <laughs> oh, that's so good. The big eyes. Oh my god, that description. Oh also, big, big blue eyes, people. Blue, it keeps coming back. She has big blue eyes, and oh the film my. really shows it off with those tight Jonathan Demi down the barrel of the lens close ups, people. I'm well, saying. Well, listen, if you're paying for Zoe Nationale, you have to the zoom eyes. into the eyes. True, true. It's in the contract. It's in the contract. <laughs> This camera will be up in your grill. <laughs> also, random note, she's the reason why I remember how to say bechamel sauce is because I say Zoe bechamel in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I will also say um, that was good, Aaron. <laughs> I don't want that sauce on my pizza dish. Zoe bechamel. Zoe bechamel sauce. No, thank you. <laughs> Prepare to see that. I will on, also say uh, I have another hot take. Uh, who here has seen Jean-Luc Godard's Weekend, his famous film Weekend? And you may know it from the infamous tracking shot. It's like a 12-minute shot of a traffic jam, and it's just like lines and lines of cars. Um, oh, yeah. And it's just panning along them, and you just see people like stuck in a traffic jam. Does this ring a bell? Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen it. I, I yeah, yeah. I, I haven't either. My great shame. But yeah. Double, double feature, The Happening and Weekend. It 
looks like they literally lifted shot compositions and color palettes from that film. The film is a like a satire, dark comedy, horror movie in which like I think it's the French countryside. A lot of people are just like killing each other and couples are in like disarray and they're trying to get somewhere, which is very much like the happening. And it's all broad daylight, greenery, uh, bodies in the road, people in car accidents, like people killing them, each other. Um, and it's very striking to be like, damn, if you were to watch these like uh, one after another in a double feature, it seems heavily inspired, whether intentionally or not. It's funny how much it has in common with the happening. So uh, that'll be your guys's homework. Watch Weekend. Okay. Be in a right mindset, you know, and then maybe have some like brain scrubbers afterwards you know i i like to pick my disney films afterwards you know <laughs> or maybe little parks and rack you know depending on what the lifts you up and calms you down to keep the nightmares at night you know yeah the, there's that new helen mirren show that's like america's funniest home videos but with animals you could maybe pull that up <laughs> what <laughs> i've heard about this add it to the list add it to the list yeah, it's on ABC. I didn't make that up. That's a thing that exists. I know it sounds like I just did like the the Mad Libs, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. like you did. I was like, is he lying? No, that's that's a shoot. That's a thing. Okay, I'm with you, Aaron. Before I go to bed the other night, I was doing Toy Story two, and then also The Simpsons is usually my go to. We're just like need peaceful thoughts in my head, cannot go to sleep just watching something bleak. And yeah, yeah I'm with you. Oh yeah, Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Ocean's oh, 13, not oh, Ocean's see, 12. Usually what ends up happening to me is I got, I'm like, let me just put on a horror movie right before bed because I have no other time to watch one. And then I'm like, okay, so let's put on an episode of Gumball. <laughs> <laughs> All I need is a quick 15, 10, 15 minutes to cleanse the palate. And then I'm like, okay, bed. Yeah. And then I wake up with nightmares, so it's fine. <laughs> yep. Huh. Well, BB Hong Kong. What? what uh, Matt Austin. I, I yeah. feel like we haven't heard from you. I want to hear your hot take on the happening. Have I convinced you of anything, or are you still very yeah. upset that Mark Wahlberg is a complete dud in this? No, I. I um, you have actually changed my mind on it. Get with a little bit more context in your hot takes. It it makes a lot more sense to me. Um, mm. I still think Marky Mark is terrible in this, and and yeah, somebody else could have done a, a better job, but that's okay. I don't know that we needed a better job because then you would have been more connected to the movie and you wouldn't have gotten all the goodness. Um, Good point. Good point. This is where I'm at with you. I I get it fully. (laughs) Like you put somebody you connect with, you lose all the all the subtext. Yeah. I've, you know, yeah, that's a really great point. I was going to bring that up earlier that their relationship is like, yeah, you're not rooting for it. They're kind of a terrible couple and maybe they shouldn't be together. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, they absolutely shouldn't be. They're opposing forces for like the whole thing. I mean, or yeah. one force that goes one direction, the other one that just kind of sits there. Or like uh, <laughs> the lemonade lady said, you know, who's chasing who here? Yeah. Yeah. She, she that's pretty much summed up that. At, yeah. Yeah. That's a terrible way to look at a relationship. <laughs> well. All right. Yeah, when you're taking your cues from Looney Tunes and Pepe Le Pew, you probably need to bow out. Yeah. Right. Uh, Lemonade uh, Lady in the screenplay, or in the movie, she bashes her head through a window and kills herself that way. In the screenplay, she wears a giant crucifix necklace and she stabs herself to death with it in the chest. Wow. That's pretty gnarly. That would have been gnarly. I mean, I still think the face through the glass was pretty gnarly. Yeah. yeah, then they could have like redone the house with the. Well, I mean, there was a lot of religious imagery in the house. Oh, I just yeah. don't remember 
So yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked she so, <laughs> she killed herself to spite everyone inside the house. That was a good move. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. None yeah. of you are safe. You're in an old drafty house anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I, the I th- only thing I can't figure out, and my team here can help me because I can figure out like, oh, this means this, and this is symbolic of this, and they're wearing blue piece of this. What the fuck is up with the doll in her bed? Is it just straight up like she's strange? I- is it like a false person imagery, like not real, not to be trusted? I couldn't really gauge like why the fuck, or is it just a fun like we're in a campy horror movie? Let's put a creepy doll in a bed. You know what? I think it's a a through line that starts at the school when Alan Ruck is the principal of the school. Um, (laughs) I think it's actually just drawing back on the Ferris Bueller-ness of the whole situation. Um, If you remember in Ferris Bueller, he had the the mannequin in the bed connected to the bowling trophy to pretend that there was somebody in the bed. (laughs) Damn, you got it. All right, I'm with you. So, yeah, I feel like you really do have to acknowledge all the great filmmakers, Goddard. uh, There you go, Eric. She cared more uh, about the doll than yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. damn, you got a point. That's true. She did get really upset that they were like in her house and her space and she cared more about her things and her yeah. privacy yeah. than helping this these this idiot couple and this innocent child. In order for it really to be a thriller point. or a creepy film, it has to have a doll in it, okay? <laughs> that is a rule in genre film. It is not creepy or horror or a thriller without a stupid creepy doll. All right. That's why. Also true. And Eric and I connected it back again. I connected it back again to Twilight Zone since like the trains arriving at the uh, small town train station was so clearly a stop at Willoughby that Twilight Zone episode. The doll yeah. in the bed to me oh, very much oh. like the talkie Tina, the living doll episode. Oh, I hate that yeah. episode. So that's that's what I came back to again with it. So that's kind of creepy too. And I don't know if this is a stretch, but it's like they're kind of let out in the middle of nowhere in like a humdrum town where like low population. And I get imagery of like atomic age where you go into yeah. like the the test sites and they're full of like mannequin people and stuff. So it's like you're in the middle of nowhere and like there's a wooden person, like not even real people out here. You know. So that's interesting. Yeah. I like that. And KP. Oh, sorry, Matt Austin. You were, t- you were right. saying something. No, I was going to say something stupid, so go ahead. <laughs> Do it. I want to hear it. I, hear it. I, I was going to say, I just get you know irrationally happy every time I see Alan Ruck in a movie. It just makes me happy. I, funny okay. enough, I love that scene and how it's framed. That yeah. feels like something like Alfred Hitchcock would do where all the teachers are standing there and we're behind Alan's head and he's yeah. like telling about the event that's happening. Again, think of Technicolor or Black and White as Matt Turk had mentioned. That's straight out of a Hitchcock film. Oh. That's straight out of Invasion of the For sure. That, that very specific framing um, that's a little cold, unnatural, out of style too. It's corny. It's a little campy. Yeah. It's, it's very staged. Yeah. 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 Anyway, the important thing that somebody wanted to say. I'm looking at my notes. I feel like I missed maybe like a hundred percent of what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> it's fucking possible. <laughs> oh, I, but this is a great note. M Night did Midsummer before Midsummer, which is the horror movie taking place in daylight, <laughs> green yeah. and trees. That's it. That's all I have. <laughs> now everything is copying Midsummer, but nobody actually understands that it was a cult. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Aaron, tell us about it. Midsummer, I haven't watched it. I will never watch it. Yeah, no. That's, that's 100% not an Aaron movie. Yeah. I'm explicitly told not to watch that film. <laughs> I can tell you about the actual uh, Sabbath of Midsummer, but I cannot tell you about the movie Midsummer. 
Is it true? Should I not watch it? Should I trust my sister and not watch that? No, 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 no,
apocalyptic-esque films where the world's at stake, where things are happening. And if you were to watch all 10 of them that came on 2000, with the happening lumped in there, the happening would stick out like a sore thumb. And I know that's a weird trophy to get it, but I think it's interesting because all those other films build to the world exploding or some big visceral thing, a creature taking down buildings, whatever it may be, and maybe stick to a formula, a formula, a thing, a trope, a stuff we've seen before. With the happening, this film is literally fighting the audience in such the way you guys are saying we're like why the fuck are they choosing this plot point why are they doing this now and it would definitely stick out and that i think makes it interesting it goes back to like an auteur theory where he is making a film devoid of studio notes it's very much out of his brain good bad or indifferent and i think that gives it value i think that gives it validity and is why people have talked about it for the last 13 years there's so many youtube videos shitting on it and so i find that fascinating i watched those youtube videos and i would agree with them and it wasn't until recently where i'm like damn i think this has merit in retrospect when you look out the string of like blockbusters this is the crazy thought i had today this movie played wide this was a wide release this wasn't an art house film that was like we're gonna put it in small theaters this was like going up against whatever else was coming dark night or whatever else was coming up in 2008 like that blows my mind because the movie is so not a populist movie yeah. and i don't think it even hides that fact it's like we're gonna be weird the entire time uh and i appreciate that so give it a watch i, I would agree i i think Usually, if somebody asks me about this podcast, I'm like, you know, go watch the movie again and then listen to what we say. Because sometimes we we get in-depth about the movie and we don't really talk about plot points. So if you're not familiar with what, what we watched, uh, you're going to be lost. Um, in this case, I would say the opposite. I think, you know, maybe if you really want to do it, the, the ultimate happening experience, I feel, at this point, is go ahead and watch the movie again or for the first time. Come and listen to this podcast and then watch it again um, with kind of new eyes and, and kind of, you know, internalizing um, the weirdness of it. And the, the like like Eric said, the, the, the correlations you can draw with, you know, mental illness and, and the fact that you, you maybe shouldn't be relating to any of these people, the fact that it's almost designed for you to bounce off of it. It's, it's fascinating to kind of reflect on it. And I kind of want to watch it again just to, to do that. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, I think that might be the way to go for this one. It, it definitely deserves revisiting maybe more than once, you know, I, like, like you said at the beginning, Eric, you, you, you watched it again for the first time after a while at the start of the pandemic and you have to stopped, right? It's <laughs> every day yeah. the, with yeah. my morning coffee, I at least yeah. watch it once. You, 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 took, <laughs> you took a break in between while Mortal Kombat was available. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> But since then, yeah, no, that's an exaggeration, but you know, I, I think that's really what it is. And it's, it's fascinating to, to hear that point of view. I think that's really cool. And, and all of it really makes sense. And it's kind of blown my mind. And I'm sure, you know, just based on the facial expressions that I was seeing on the video, this is what I wish we would have done video for. Um, <laughs> Cause you could watch minds be blown in real time. Um, yeah. There's a whole new dimension to this movie that I didn't really think about. I just thought it was, you know, a goofy movie where everybody acted like wood. Um, <laughs> But no, there's there's a lot to it. So thanks, Eric, for for bringing this to us, and then you know, kind of dropping the science on us. It was it was really a, an amazing experience. That was great. This was I was looking forward to this like crazy. So thank you to everyone here. This was awesome. It's so exciting to talk about movies with you. Uh, <laughs> and if you guys want to talk about the rest of M Night's uh, filmography, I am there in a heartbeat. I don't believe it. It's it's not a threat. It's a promise. We'll make sure we do more of these. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. And, and thank you for the awesome segue. I will segue into our film festival, another great place to hang out and talk about movies with each other. Um, it's coming up this November, the 4th through the 7th. Is that right? Do I have the dates right? I've said it twice now. Yeah. I feel like that's right. It's ingrained in my brain. I should really just get it tattooed like memento at this point. <laughs> Just backwards so I can read it in the camera. Um, yeah, so it's November 4th through 7th here in Rochester, New York. Uh, venue to be announced soon if we haven't already. Uh, venue meaning we're doing this in person Woo. in Meat Space. Yeah. Yeah, in Meat Space. Which is going to be great. Um, so yeah, come join us. Have a few laughs. Watch some great movies and uh, and have your mind blown. It's all Woo. it's all part of the anomaly experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think... Uh, if you want to know more about the the festival, it's at Anomaly Film Fest on all the social medias. It's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We don't have a TikTok yet. We have to figure that out at some point, I'm sure. Um, Aaron, I'm, I'm looking at you. Because, um, yeah, you don't want me to do it. It would be terrible. It would just be like, you know, staring at the ceiling with some weird song in the background, which might sell. I don't know. I think um, it would sell 100% on TikTok. There's an audience for that. <laughs> But yeah, come check us out. It's anomalyfilmfest.com. Um, plenty of details to come. Uh, we're we're in the thick of it. Uh, another TikTok thing, huh? Um, that's just really Aaron at this point. Um, KP is missing. Are you there? I'm here. Okay. Um, yeah, so we're, we're in the middle of putting together all the party plans. Everything is going to happen. Um, the only thing we need is you. Uh, so please make sure you come. It's going to be great. Thank you very much for uh, for spending this time with us, and we hope to see you soon. Um, yeah, thanks. Have a great have a great one. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. If you want to learn more about Rochester and Buffalo's wide range of diverse cuisines, Nominate Meals might be for you. The fun part is you have no idea what you're going to get until you pick your meal up at one of our fantastic events. All you have to do is go to nominatemeals.com and order a meal for two for $40 that features dishes from one small, typically minority-owned restaurant. We run events at Three Heads Brewing, Fatty Beer Company in the neighborhood of Play, and also Nowhere Lounge in Buffalo. We offer drink pairings for sale that pair with each dish for that night, which really adds to the experience. Go to nominatemeals.com to order your meal for an upcoming event and join the nomination.